Hi, and welcome to Found, TechCrunch's podcast. It's all about the stories behind the startups. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm joined by the block to my chain. Yeah, Jordan Crook. There were so many options for that one, right? Like the NFT to my dad. There DAO. were. But you just got to go simple. And also, you you block me, and I'm a chain. I, I've... I blocked yoked you? myself. I've yoked myself to your block for better or for worse. <laughs> blocks don't go anywhere. You need to hitch <laughs> your wagon to my horse or something. Blocks are still for a reason. Unless someone throws them off of a bridge and then they go to the battle. <laughs> oh, okay, it got violent. Here <laughs> we shall be forever, chained together, stagnant. Now, speaking of chains, before we get into this week's episode... Uh, there's actually a new TechCrunch podcast that you may have noticed, and if you didn't, go notice it now. It's called Chain Reaction. It features Lucas Matney and Anita Ramaswamy breaking down what's happening in the wild world of crypto, which, as we all know, it's that is wild. the wildest of worlds. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll get into it on this podcast, too, a little bit, but I don't think anywhere near the depth in terms of the actual subject matter that they get into it over there. There's a few episodes out already as you're listening to this. It comes out every Thursday. So we do encourage you to go sign up. Please go sign up. Support the growing TechCrunch podcast universe. There will be crossover. There are storylines that go across all the podcasts (laughs) if you're paying close attention. There are recurring characters. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But this week we also have blockchain stuff on found <laughs> today we're talking to joe lau and nikhil viswanathan from alchemy which is a developer platform powering web3 which is like aws for web3 is the easiest way that they describe it i think a lot of people described it which you know like i have a vague awareness of what aws even does so <laughs> right like i know i know there's the cloud storage component but i know there's a lot of other parts in between and i think they're more like the other parts so that wasn't super helpful to me as a shorthand <laughs> going into it, to be very, very honest. But luckily, Joe and Akil explained it for us in their own words. And you'll hear that from them right now. Hey, how's it going, guys? Nikhil, Joe, great to have you here. Thanks for having us on. Hey, yeah. guys. Thrilled to talk to you about, about Alchemy. I mean, we've covered Alchemy quite a bit. Your trajectory has been impressive, very impressive. If you look at just your the list of your client companies on your website, it's a list of basically who's who in blockchain right now. We'd love to start these off with just a quick high-level overview from you about what the company is, the elevator pitch, as it were. But remember, our folks aren't experts, so you know, make it as generally kind of consumable as possible. But does someone want to give that a stab? Maybe... Nikhil, Joe, I don't know who usually does the... Nikhil, I think it's you. You got you got pointed at All by right. Joe. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, usually we have a little diagram, but uh, we're doing this on audio, audio so we have to <laughs> use, use your imagination. <laughs> the way to think about our business is when you look at the three shifts in technology over the last 100 years that have defined our world as we know it today, there's the computer, then there's the internet, and now there's blockchain or Web3, whatever you want to call it. Each one of these kind of industries had a business that enabled people to build applications, right? It was a platform. So for the computer, that was Windows, like the operating system and mm-hmm. Mac OS. And what these enabled you to do was create applications that we know and use on a daily basis, like Zoom, Word, Excel, you know, Chrome, these kind of apps. And that's actually what spun the cycle of innovation in the industry and made computers accessible to people around the globe. Right. In the internet, there's actually a similar thing. So this is interesting. So for those of you who are in tech, you'll probably understand this. And as you're not in tech, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to hear about. There's actually a business that powers the entire internet. It's a business that you've heard of, but you've never heard of. It's called Amazon. So Amazon actually has two businesses. They have their shopping business where you can go buy clothes and whatever you want. And then they also have their compute business. So what this is, is called Amazon Web Services. Amazon Web Services basically runs the technology behind most of the apps you use on your daily life. So let's say you open Uber or Lyft or DoorDash or whatever it is. Uber doesn't actually run the computers that run the Uber app. Amazon actually runs that, right? And this is actually two-thirds of Amazon's business. Two-thirds of Amazon's profits come from AWS. One-third come from the shopping retail side. And it's actually a trillion-dollar business on its own. And what Alchemy does is we do the same thing for Web3. We enable companies, everyone from companies like OpenSea to Adobe, to build applications. 
for Web3. It's pretty interesting. You know, it's been a crazy ride. Mm-hmm. We do about $100 billion in transactions annually, actually significantly over. I think that's our public number, $100 billion wow. annually for every country in the globe. And so every time, a concrete application, every time you open an NFT to look at it, that's almost certainly coming from alchemy behind the scenes. Right, right. So the reason, and the last thing maybe is the reason that this is interesting is when you think about the big shifts in technology, and you look at this platform layer, you look at those three companies, Microsoft, Apple, and Amazon, those are just one tiny piece of all the technology companies in the world. It's also one tiny piece of all of the normal companies in the world, you know, real estate, finance, there's a lot of other industries. But what are the three most impactful and valuable companies on the planet? Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, right? And it kind of shows you the power of that platform. So hopefully if Web3 becomes even a fraction size of the internet, we have a chance to really bring this technology to people around the globe. Right. Great. So clearly, this is the pitch you go into the investment meetings with, right? Is it, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like when you're saying those words, they're designed to be like, all right, yes, I went out on this. I would like to be AWS for anything. at this position in history. Yeah. yeah. This, this was the idea that got us excited and helps us, you know, we work 24-7. Joe and I still do like 16-hour days. We still travel in the backseat of Coach. We share a hotel room at the cheapest hotel that we can find. And it's actually given this talk at Harvard keynoting the blockchain conference last week. And someone came up and said, oh, I thought I saw you guys on the plane back from this crypto conference, but it couldn't have been you because you guys were literally backseat, back row, right next to the bathroom and coach. And I was like, yeah, that was that was totally us. So what gets us going is not the money or the investors or any of that kind of stuff, but it's, you know, you have the chance to build something that improves people's lives for people around the planet. And that's really exciting. We live in a day and age where you can do that. And it was, wasn't possible 20 years ago, but now you have the internet, computers, Web3, and it's a really exciting time. So I have a question about that. One of the biggest like debates I think that I've been seeing around Web3 and I'm like very novice, right? So like treat with kid gloves here. Me, is me and Jordan like- are like, there's th- there's three people at TechCrunch who are like senior and you have the two that are like you the, the least well-versed. Like, that are like, wait. Keeping Web3 at an arm's length. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then Matthew Panzerino is the third and he's yeah. like, in it, in it, in yeah, it. Yeah, he's it. like, I'm, my, I'm putting my brain as an NFT on the web. Like he's like, yeah, he's super into it. And I feel like I remember even I host Disrupt and I feel like I for years, every time we introduce someone in crypto, I'm like, I'm waiting for this to go away, but here's this speaker for now. Um, it hasn't worked, obviously. Yeah. Um, but my question is like, right now, the internet is not decentralized, right? And is controlled by like a very small number of people at a very small number of companies for the most part. And we're seeing like, how that can in some ways be really beneficial and that you have like guardrails for certain things, but it can also be super detrimental in a lot of ways. I don't understand, like everyone talks about Web3 as being this like utopia of democratization and creation. And like, I don't understand how that's true because like you're essentially buying to be AWS. So like you'll have just as much control as Amazon does if the web goes your way, right? So like, Can you explain to me the part where everything's democratized? Because like it still feels like a very small group of people with a very outsized amount of power. Just a different word. Or alternatively, if you don't believe that, you can also say, no, that's not what's changing. Yeah. And then explain what is changing instead. Right? Yeah. Um, and this is great. I love it. We're, we're diving straight into the hard stuff. So it's a really good question. So when you, when you say, you know, like a few companies and a very small group of people basically control the internet, I think if we look at how the internet is built, the reason for that is because large companies have data modes. What this means is basically Facebook owns all of your data that you create on Facebook. You can't ever take it off. You can't ever leave. And as a result, that company can pretty much dictate how you use that data and how you act on that platform. Same with Twitter, same with you know every kind of social media platform and pretty much anything on the web today. Someone owns that data. And because they own that data, they're able to control essentially your access to that data. So for example, if you wanted to take your Twitter followers somewhere else or you wanted to right. you know create your own community, you can't do that. It's really hard because Twitter basically owns that follower graph and owns all your content. The difference with Web3 and the reason that you know, when we say we want to be the Amazon Web Services of crypto and Amazon Web Services of Alchemy, it's actually a totally different thing than the AWS of kind of like the centralized internet today. Hmm. The reason for that is because in blockchain, the data is actually owned by everyone. And that's the part that's totally decentralized. So what that means is there are no data modes in Web3 and there are no data modes in blockchain. So when you use a blockchain application, for example, that data goes directly on the blockchain. 
which is a public ledger that can be accessed by anyone through a lot of different means. So Alchemy is one way for you to read and write data from the blockchain, but it's not the only way for you to do that. Right. We make it a lot easier. We provide people a lot of tools and we do that so that people can build applications faster and better and more scalably and more reliably. But they're by no means you know, locked into Alchemy. People can leave Alchemy at any point. And so the difference between you know the centralization you see in Web2 today and the goals of Web3 is we want to create a world where people own their data and they have first party access to that data. They can use it however they want. They can take it wherever they want. And when we provide a developer platform that helps them create applications, we do it in a way that doesn't have the same kind of lock-in that Amazon Web Services or large Web2 companies like Facebook or Twitter might have. Hmm. Okay, cool. That actually helps because I think I mean, you hear a lot about transferable assets or like assets that can persist across you know different metaverses, different applications, if whatever. And like, that is what part of what you're talking about, right? Is because yep. that fundamentally remains tied to the owner and then they can bring it wherever, regardless of the intervening layer or whatever. Is that mm -hmm. accurate or no? Yeah, yep, yeah, that, that's exact, exactly right. In on the internet, this is a relatively new concept that hasn't existed before because mm -hmm. you know data had to be stored on some server and someone had to run that server, right? So right, Facebook right. runs that server, they own that data. If someone else runs that server, they own that data. Blockchain's new because You've got data that runs on servers all around the world and no one really owns that data. But in a way, it's actually a lot more similar to how the real world works. So when you think about NFTs, for example, mm -hmm. they're actually looking at the gaming example, like, you know, if you play Fortnite, maybe you buy skins or like CSGO, like, you, you know, you buy skins, or you buy stuff in these games, but you can't take it anywhere else, right? So if I'm like an awesome Fortnite player and I have all this Are stuff- Are you an awesome like, Fortnite I, player? I am not yeah, an awesome Fortnite player. So <laughs> I have no awesome stuff in Fortnite, unfortunately. <laughs> but to use, the, to use the example, you can't take that to another video game, right? Yeah. But when you think about the real world, it's actually the opposite. Like if I have a jacket, I can actually take that jacket anywhere. I can take right. it to work. I can take it to the gym, et cetera. You have this interoperability that up to now hasn't existed on the internet. And the blockchain basically makes it so that for the first time, we can actually start to get that kind of interoperability. So everyone, all these different applications can use the same data, which sits on the same blockchain, and you start to get lots of really unique experiences that you couldn't have before. Cool. So this is a related question. I feel like this is a trap and maybe I'm walking into it, but like you're talking about that as the differentiator, right? Because you're very similar to AWS in these other ways, but you're not similar to it in terms of the portability of sort of like the product of value or whatever, or maybe I'm assigning value incorrectly, right? But like, what is then defensible for you, I guess, versus say an AWS? Yeah, right? how do you win? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question. So mm -hmm. we don't have the same kind of lock-in that Amazon Web Services might have. We actually, the reason we work so hard and the reason we've you know, come so far and are the market leader today is purely because essentially of our product focus. Like mm -hmm. we just, we wake up every day and we have to win the customer every day. So we talk to more developers than probably anyone in this space. We work harder than probably anyone in this space. And we're just always 100% focused on figuring out what developers want and building it faster than anybody else and providing them more value than anybody else. So at the end of the day, like it's up to us to continue to earn that. And we wake up every day working really hard to do that. Well, and a big war chest too. That does <laughs> that, That's got to yeah. help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you need one to get the other. Yeah, yeah right. For, yeah. yeah, you work hard and then you get the war chest and then you have to keep working hard. We actually, uh, I don't know if I said this publicly, we actually haven't touched any of the money from the last several rounds. Like we're like very oh, wow. profitable. It, it's like just all in the bank. That's good. What yeah. are you going to use it then? Just scaling? Like, like my, birth, my birthday party, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you've been sitting in coach for so long. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, no, it's, it's really like, we're really excited about bringing our product globally to people around the world. And when we did the fundraisers, it was never outbound. It was always like people approaching us. And it was because we wanted to have strategic thought partners who would really help us scale different aspects of the business. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the kind of people we've been able to get in to advise and help and mentor, whether it's Andreessen or Co2 or Pantera or Lightspeed or sort of like whatever it is, these are like the best investors in the world, right? And if there was a way that we could do this for free, where we say, hey, we're not going to give you any of the company and you come work with us, we'd do it instantly. But the way that Silicon Valley works is you have to let them invest. And I think the kind of impact to the business has been tremendous from their help and advice. And it's definitely worth the dilution and, and the cost that we have to take. It's funny, we actually view it in the opposite way than maybe a lot of people where we don't view it as like, oh, we get money. It's like, no, 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 we are letting you invest because we want your advice in return. You know, we'll take some money, but we're not even like touching any money. Right. So it's almost like, I mean, I'm looking at your advisory circle circle profile pick page uh, and it's it's 
very, very varied, right? Like you have on there, you got Jay Z and Jared Leto on like the one hand. You've got Dave Gilboa from um, Orby Parker. You got Sacramento King. Like it's all over the place, but it does cover off. It feels more like. Yeah, an advisor board across a range of industries than sort of a typical VC sheet. So it does look like, you know, that echoes with what you're saying. Are you thinking about that every time? Is every investor essentially a strategic investor for you? I mean, yes, every investor is definitely a strategic investor. We run the company and maybe we can go back and tell a little bit of the backstory. But yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, we run the company super lean. You know, when we did the three and a half billion dollar round, we were 27 people and 22 founders, so or 22 ex founders of companies, and that was right. kind of one of our secret sauces. And you know, now most companies our size are 5,000 people, and we're 50 people. So we run the company very, very, very lean. So we've not really needed money, and and that that's kind of our been our philosophy. And the, and the business is very profitable. So you know, our philosophy has been get the best team possible. Let's build something for people around the globe and surround ourselves with as many awesome investors and supporters and mentors that we can. And, and Joe and I feel super grateful. You know, all these investors, like they clearly don't, they're set. They don't need any more money. And, you know, they've kind of chosen to help and support us. And, you know, we're on like a text message basis where we like get advice from all these people, like in a very, very frequent manner and very grateful for their time and advice. Yeah, I think I did want to go back. We'll start to get into your history here a bit. But like, I'm very curious about you two both have backgrounds that have at a laundry list of sort of like tech companies, right? Like luminary, high profile tech companies. I think you've got like all of the, well, not all of the fang companies, but a lot of the (laughs) companies on there. But then you also have a co-founder history too. You guys went and founded a very, very different company called Down to Lunch, which was like a social like in-person meeting app yeah. thing, which like, honestly, I, like to me, couldn't be more different. <laughs> Maybe we can give a little bit of the background and just like yeah. go through the yeah. story. Joe, you want to you wanna kick it off? Yeah, sure. I guess we can start with our, our personal background. So, you know, you mentioned we worked at these places, how we got there. So both Nikhil and I grew up in pretty small town. So we grew up in Texas. I grew up in a small town called Vancouver in Washington. Turns out it's, there's a separate Vancouver to the Vancouver, BC. So people think I'm usually Canadian. But, I know, I got uh, excited. No, so I actually... got briefly very excited. <laughs> yeah, wait, and then go ahead, Daryl, do so it. Excited. He's got to <laughs> do it every episode. So go ahead, well, Spiritually, Darryl. spiritually. But, yeah, I'm Canadian, um, everyone. Daryl's Canadian, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, so grew up, grew up in a small town. Actually had not heard of computer science until I got to college. Like in high school, computer science, software engineering was not a thing. What was really interesting was, you know, I, I think the internet had a pretty big impact in my life in an early age. So again, in a small town, like, most people who went to college went to like the community college or maybe the state school. I, at that point, was uh, was dating someone who went to Stanford. Uh, so I was like, oh, what is the Stanford thing? Like, let me figure out how to get in. Um, and we didn't really have college counselors. So I joined this online forum where there are a lot of other anxious kids trying to get into college and parents too. And that was where I learned everything I could about college admissions, how to write essays, how to get in. And that was something that I would not have had access to without the internet. And that was mm-hmm. that was really interesting. So it's, it's kind of like a little footnote in my mind. I went to college, always had wanted to build stuff. But again, not knowing what software engineering was, I had wanted to go kind of enter college doing mechanical engineering uh, right. and product design, wanted to build physical products. But took my first CS course, a guy called Maron Sahami, absolutely awesome professor. And just like really quickly realized, if you want to build things for people, the best way to do that is to actually build software. Because you can type on this like magic metal box, as as Nikhil likes to call it, (laughs) and put code on the internet and instantly billions of people can have access to that. And that's really exciting. That's something you could have never done with a physical product. So that got me really, really excited about software engineering. Did my undergrad and my master's there. Then Nikhil at Stanford, we became friends there too. And then actually spent about a year, you know, interned at various places. Google looked in and a year at Pinterest. But then Nikhil and I had reconnected for the most random of reasons, just started jamming about the things that we wanted to do, you know, with our life and kind of with, you know, if we were to start a company and just like got along on so many levels and decided this was now like seven, eight years ago Hold or something on. like that. That was like your opening DMs to each other, like <laughs> random stranger on the internet. Like, what do you want to do with your life? Yeah, we, like, we, we, we were friends from school. Former, we were friends from school, former college buddy. What do you <laughs> want to do with your life? Yeah, but basically, I mean, we try to. You know, on the one hand, we don't take things too seriously, but on the other hand, we take things really seriously. Like we want to, you know, we're only here once. We want to have an impact. We want to do really cool stuff, and we spend a bunch of our time doing that. And so, yeah, that <laughs> that ends up being a core point of discussion for us. 
actually the first first time we got dinner after after college. Huh. Uh, Nikhil, you want to give your background? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, like Joe said, I grew up in a super small town called like Lubbock, Texas, that no one's oh, yeah. ever heard of. Oh, you've heard of Lubbock? I've heard oh, of okay, it. Cool. Jordan's grew up in Texas. Plano. So oh, I really? Know okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know Lubbock. It's like this super small town. Like literally whenever I come to California, no one knows where I'm from. I honestly had a similar thing to Joe. Like, you know, 50% of my high school didn't go to college. There were like knife fights and like drug deals. And it was like, it was kind of like crazy place. It, it was a lot of fun. I used to like street race cars in high school and like build computers. It was like not like your Palo Alto childhood. Yeah, where you're, like, this, Jordan, this is Panzerino right now. I really wish he was yeah. here for this episode. He also used to street race and do yeah. all this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in uh, Fresno. Fresno. Oh, so Fresno. Which is oh, also small. My, my oh, freshman roommate actually lived in Fresno. I was hanging out there this weekend. But yeah, it was actually a random story. I was uh, in the finals of this scholarship. It was like Micron's technology scholarship, whatever. It flew me out to Idaho. And it's like the final round. And they were like, oh, what do you like to do for fun? I was like, I like street race cars and build computers. And, and they're like, uh, okay, why do you want to go to Stanford? I was like, uh, it was like really good weather and I want to go surfing and stuff. Oh. And and they, uh, clearly I did not get this scholarship. My friends were like, what, why did you even say that? I was like, they know it's a good school. Like, I don't need to tell them that. And yeah, anyway, so it was a, it was a good time. But came to Stanford, Joe and I both did undergrad and grad in artificial intelligence, machine learning, computer science. It's funny, we actually met because this is one of those, you can't connect the dots, like looking forward, you connect them looking backwards moments. But we met because we were teaching assistants for the database class at Stanford. Um, mm -hmm. And this is interesting for two reasons. One, databases are kind of the precursor to blockchain, right? right. And the second thing is that normally their class has 100 students in the class. This quarter, they said, let's open this up to anybody around the world. And, you know, they had 100,000 students in the class. It was the first time online learning was a thing. Mm -hmm. And right after that, that spun out and became Coursera. So Joe and I were kind of like the first unpaid employees of Coursera. I mean, we were at TA second, but we didn't yeah. get equity or anything. So the, the point is like, we were actually thrown into startup life from day one of meeting each other. And it was interesting. I think you mentioned the, the internships, you know, I never thought I wanted to work at big companies. Somehow random, you know, Joe and I ended up working at big companies during our summers. We both kind of like started a few things like during college also in some of the summers, but had done Facebook, Google, Microsoft. So started them separately or started them together? Uh, separately. Like separately. I, I did this one thing my senior year of college, like this like events calendar that showed you all the all the parties that were going on campus. And then it went, mm. blew up and kind of went to a bunch of schools and stuff and built a few other things. But the interesting thing about going to Facebook, Google, Microsoft was I think we had this like really unique access to the CEOs of the companies at the times. And at Microsoft ended up hanging out with Steve Ballmer and coming, getting to come to Stanford to come speak at the class we hosted. And then went at Google, had meetings with Larry and would hang out with Sergey and at Facebook, you know, had, there's one desk next to Mark. And, you know, I'm a random intern, right? I'm, I'm not like, there's nothing special here. And I happened to be my desk. So I like sat next to Mark all summer and got to like, you know, see how they run these companies. And I think the thing that really stuck out in my mind was these people, I had so much respect for these people, so smart, so worked so hard, you know, just like really committed beyond belief. But I also realized, I was like, they're just humans that, you know, they probably have right. similar DNA to me. Like if they can do it, like Joe and I can do it also. Right. And I think that was like a big kind of reinforcing point for us. And, you know, when we graduated, didn't apply for any jobs. And I think Joe and I both went through kind of rough times post-college where you know, I missed all my friends. I tried to work on some startup ideas, didn't work out. It was like trying to work with people I met, didn't really work out. I got dumped by a long-term girlfriend. It was not a good place. Missed all my friends. So it's kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. going from top of the world Surrounded by all my friends in college, absolutely loved it. Time of my life to ultra low Which is point. Not and, uncommon for like a yeah. post college experience, yeah. right? Because you're thrust into the real world and you're like, oh, yeah. exactly. And then you know, there's a couple compounding factors here where. For me, I was like, I'm not going to take a job. I'm just going to go work on startup ideas. And yeah, so you right. gone, you have this like intense social isolation from being, if at least when you when you're thrust in the real world, you have your coworkers, you go out with them, and all this kind of stuff, and didn't have any of that, right? So you know, I think Joe and I think about our lives in in the same way, where you have really one shot at life. You don't get multiple chances, right? You know, religion, reincarnation, side, and in this life you have one chance to really have a big impact. And the way we think about that impact is on two axes. So your X axis is how many people's lives do you touch? And your Y axis is like, how deeply do you bring kind of a positive benefit to life every day? And your impact is the product of those two axes. So number of people times depth of impact. And like Joe said, right, you know, never before can you like press buttons on this magic metal box and build something everyone on the planet uses. 20 right. years ago, that wasn't possible. Now you have the software, you have the internet, you have Web3. So like that kind of was what got us really excited. And then the Y axis, you know, Joe and I had this really similar vision. We're, all, we're also like very similar. 
similar. You know, people say co-founders should be different. We're actually like ultra, ultra similar. And we we actually lived together for like five plus years. And, and we saw each other 24. We worked out of apartment, lived together 24 hours a day. And everyone said that was a terrible idea. Don't do it. You're it gonna sounds kill like each a other. terrible idea. Yeah. We like, we like <laughs> literally... We've like literally never gotten to an argument. It's like, oh. it's crazy. And we just go wow. on like super, super well. Yeah. And we've gone through the yeah. crazy you can imagine. Sorry. Daryl and I have it. also never gotten into an argument. That is absolutely <laughs> untrue. <laughs> <laughs> we have a similar close in terms of our working relationship, but we've got yeah. like tons of fights. Well, yeah. Like, I feel yeah. like our, our fights of what made us so intimate, honestly, <laughs> for them, we would just we've be never lying had, to each like, other. We've never had a startup on the line or any anyone yeah. else's sort of like well, I mean, we've we do we do have responsibility for other people's livelihoods, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, it was oh. it was it was it was a blast. So I think like Joe and I really just connect on this idea of, you know, how do we have a big impact? And for us, the X Act was obvious. We want to do software, I want to do internet computers. Like we just knew that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And and I think like for me, from a young age, I was like, most kids are like, I want to be a firefighter, astronaut. I, I mean, now it's like I want to be a YouTube. YouTuber, TikToker, right? And yeah. I was like, I want to write software for everyone on the planet. And that was that was just that was just that, you know, whatever. No one in Lower Texas even like barely knew what a computer right. I mean they knew what a computer was, but no one really knew what the internet was when I was growing up. So Wow, I feel like it's going to date me a lot. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> no, and but, also get but, Lubbock uh, pissed at you, man. Like, I know, poor Lubbock. Yeah, no, Lubbock was awesome. It was like, I, I cannot imagine a better place to grow up, honestly. It was yeah. so stress-free. It was so much fun. Everyone's so nice. You know, I actually went back there during COVID in summers. It was like, perfect weather in summer is you know it's like 80 it's degrees not if you degrees. want to be a computer engineer it's not like yeah. the prevailing uh exactly career pursuit yeah yeah, yeah. Or you don't it's, like it, knife fights yeah oh, well the knife fights yeah I mean. <laughs> knife fights were definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> knife fights okay that was maybe a little extreme people had knives and they would like care about everyone was like i uh, see it was like, just knife demonstration it was more it was like knife yeah. brandishing yeah. it was like fights okay. and then you had knives but like most of the time they weren't like really <laughs> used together and uh, had a knife in my car, just like utility knife for like whatever, you know, you just need something. And I came to California and people were like, you have a knife in your car? And in Texas, they're like, you don't have a gun in your car? Like, oh, no. what's going up? <laughs> this is totally, I get this because my dad still always has a utility knife, right? Yeah, and it's, utility and knife. You just carry around a pocket knife yeah, in case yeah. you ever have to cut yourself out of a net or something. So like, I, I, don't know actually, what for, I had a exactly. real knife. And I mean, not that a utility knife isn't a real knife. They're all real knives. But yeah. like, I had a knife when I first moved to New York as like a 19 year old because I was like, Amazing. gotta have something, right? <laughs> and people were like, uh, it's kind of illegal for you to carry a knife in your back pocket all the time. And I was like, no, no, I researched it. It's under four inches. Like, it's fine. Wow. Like, it's totally legal. Yeah. It was like a whole thing. But then I got over it. I was like, the likelihood that this is used again me in some way is so high. I don't yeah. know how to wield yeah. a knife. Yeah. I'll just be like, back away. Yeah. Um, I like that instead of pepper spray, you're like, I'm escalating all the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just felt like pepper spray was also just like asking for a little accident, right? Like, oh, oh my gosh. I sprayed True. myself with pepper. I don't know. Like, there's <laughs> not, you just, sometimes you just have to surrender. Like, if danger befalls me, it befalls right, me. Right. You're done. Can we talk more about your founder relationship? Yeah. Like, do you guys totally. have? Especially because you've had a couple goes at it now, right? So like what yeah, has changed, totally. especially from the from time one to time two or whatever, right? Yeah. And and actually, sorry, I realized I, I'm going to give like the super quick summary yeah, yeah. of like how we ended up doing crypto. So basically, Joe and I went through this thing where we said, we want to help. What is the number one thing that determines your life on a daily basis? It's the people you're around. You know, that determines your happiness. You know, imagine if you were surrounded by all the people who loved you, inspired you, motivated you, made you kind of like the happiest Daryl and Jordan in your life every single day. Yeah. And we said... Good luck. I don't know. You would take a lot. Yeah, we're curmudgeons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got, yeah, you got so, the right for that. But yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, Me I'll said, try. For us, it, like it was the the kind of mental model was like your freshman dorm. Like for us, you know. 15 years ago, we were roommates in college, right? Yeah. So basically, we said, we want to create this experience for every person on the planet. Everyone said it's not possible. We said, hey, you know, technology reduces the time and space between people. And this is this what enables you to do. So Joe and I said, this is our quest. We're going to do this for every person on the planet, help them feel like they have their friends in their daily lives. We spent many years building many products. You know, in our head, we're like, yeah, you know, we'll just build an app and we'll be like Facebook in six months. We'll be a billion dollar company. Right. 
multiple years later, I remember exactly how many years we built 10 products, nothing worked. Like literally no one used anything. And it was, mm. it was like intense. Like one of our investors called us cockroaches the other day. And I'm like, hopefully he meant it in persistence, not like <laughs> looks or smell or something like that. But basically it was just the thing where Joe and I, it's always been a blast. Like even during like the toughest times, it's always been a lot of fun uh, where I just feel super lucky to get to work with Joe. And finally we built this one app that we thought no one's going to use. It's called down to lunch ends up being the number one app in the app store and social millions of people around the world. New York Times puts the worst photo of us ever. I literally asked them, I was like, I'm single, just make me look good. That's all I care about. And they put the worst photo ever on the front page of New York Times, the business section. And anyway, so, but it was, it was a really, really look exciting this photo now, but yeah. yeah. You're really <laughs> advertising this stuff you don't want us I to know. look at. Oh, uh, you. Uh, oh, was, wow. Uh, yeah, they really yeah. did. Okay. That's yeah. not a great photo. <laughs> it, was, it was days of photo shoots. It was like, okay, to be clear, we didn't even want press. We're like, we don't even read New York Times. We don't really even know what you are. Like, we don't want press. They kind of inbounded us. And they took days of photo shoots. And it was like food falling out of my mouth. Like hundreds wow. of photos. Everywhere. Hundreds. Like hundreds of photos. so much to uh, choose from. Yeah. So <laughs> so please choose a good good one for this cover photo for this podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway, and then the last thing, and I'll let Joe chime in on our relationship, is 2017 happened. We had seen crypto for a really long time. I think there's a big shift when it was no longer just a digital currency, but it was this new building block. And I think crypto, people talk about decentralization a lot. But the thing that really stood out to us was when you look at the computer, internet, and blockchain, each one of them had this kind of new building block. And the computer enabled machines to follow human instruction. That was never mm-hmm. possible before. Internet comes along and says, we're going to let machines exchange information, which was never possible before. And then the blockchain comes along and says, okay, we're going to allow machines to exchange value so they can transact. Like money before, when you had a variable mm-hmm. in your code, it can only be data, like a number or a letter, but now it can actually be money. And for us, we're like, holy shit, like you can build new types of applications that were never possible before. And that was what got us really excited. And we started building and then we're like, wow, it's so difficult to build. We need to make it easy to build. And that was kind of the genesis of Alchemy. Yeah. And, and maybe maybe Joe can talk a bit about some of the crazy stories or, or the founder journey. Yeah. I yeah did, or I was did. it the same for you, Joe? Did you never feel conflict with Nikhil? Or yeah, Joe, you- I'm like, I, it was a great experience. Joe was like, let's go. Joe was like, secretly harboring a lot of, a lot yeah. of, uh, no, no, no. It's, it's been, it's been an absolute blast. Like I think Nikhil covered it really well. Maybe a good way to sum it up is like, you know, our journey, it hasn't always been easy, but it has always been fun. A lot of that is just, yeah, like Nikhil mentioned, when we first started doing consumer social, this is like 2014, something like that. We were naive at the time. We we're like in six months, we have a billion users. Like yeah. this is, you know, <laughs> this is easy. I legit, I remember I was leaving Pinterest. I was talking with a coworker. He was like, oh, you know, it took us two years to do our startup. And then we just gave up and we kind of like went back to what we were doing. And I was like, oh, like in two years, we're a massive company. Like, it's, <laughs> I, like not, yeah. Like at the time I was just like so supremely naively confident. Um, and then got, you know, slapped in the face with reality. So like Nikhil said, we spent years and years and years kind of like, building stuff and finding any semblance of attraction. This was pretty alchemy, but it was always a blast. Like we lived together for five plus years. We lived in this loft in Soma. We lived there and we worked there. So we'd wake up, we'd like roll out to the living room. When we had a team, sometimes people would be there already. So they'd see us coming. I had to walk through the living room to get to the bathroom that I'd use. So I'd be like in my PJs and stuff. So it, always, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, but, but it's always like, it's just, you know, I think the parts that made it fun is Nicole and I are like, Pretty, pretty like simple people. Like we just want to wake up, want to like have fun, hang out with people and just like, like build stuff, build stuff that people use, build stuff that, that changes people's lives. So we were always working on that and we we're always like, that's what gave us happiness. And so we we're always just happy to do it. You know, I think like, of course we wanted to build a big company and stuff, but I think we saw that as the means to an end, the end being like, how do we have as much impact as we can for as, as many people as we can. For us, I think a big part of what made it so much fun is we're just, we're super close friends. Like we yeah. basically saw each other 24 seven. We'd wake up, we'd work and we'd go to the gym together. We'd come back and like, for those years, I saw Nikhil way more than I saw my awesome girlfriend, now fiance at the time. Uh-huh. And I think that was a part of how we got along so well together and how we've managed to, you know, get through the rough times together and get to, you know, get to where we are today. So the other thing I'd say is like, we have super similar mindsets in terms of like how we approach challenges. Our philosophy was always like, we'll figure it out kind of right. philosophy. Even even in like the tough times, I remember there were, went down to lunch with scaling. This was pre-COVID, so it's not as impressive now, but at the time it was super impressive. There were weeks where we wouldn't leave the loft even once, like wouldn't step oh, right. foot yeah. out of our doors. We'd like order Chipotle kind of like three, you know, two, three times a day and stuff. Now in COVID, everyone does that. So not impressive anymore. But at the time it was this big thing, but it was just, you know, thought, hey, if we keep working on it and if we keep getting better and better, and if we keep improving on the things that we're not doing right, like we'll figure out how to make it work. Yeah. So we were 
that belief plus like some people might be like oh you know you're just too dumb to quit but that, that's what <laughs> that, that's that's yeah. what kept us going but yeah it's been fun all the way through have you guys ever practiced like a faux disagreement because like the law of probability says that you will disagree at some point do you have I a role play a disagreement to see how yeah, you resolve like, it because <laughs> yeah. like when you do it could be big because you don't yeah. have any practice fighting with each other i think the thing to understand so i think there's two really important things Three things. One, Joe and I are super values aligned on what we want in life, what we want to do. Like an ideal day for I think me that and seems Joe. clear. Like even to me, just from this brief conversation, it seems like you're very yeah. simpatico, both of you, right? We're, but yeah. we're like very close to being the same person. An ideal day for me and Joe is it's warm outside. We get to build stuff for people we, with our friends. We get to hang out with friends, have a blast while doing it. And then we get to go to the gym, right? And we don't really usually get the gym part or the warm part, but like we get the important part, which is building stuff <laughs> with our friends every single day. And it's been a blast. I think the second thing is we're both like very similar personalities. So we're both very chill, but we're also super intense. It's like, mm. you know, if it's competition, we're going to win full stop period. Like there's no question about it. But also it's like, there have been times when our servers are melting down and the app is blowing up and it's like, we're doubling. It's like crazy times. And like Joe and I will be the first person to like crack an inappropriate joke. Right. And our team's like, we're stressed. And we're like, no, it's just, it's fine. Like, <laughs> and I think the last thing is, Alan Eustace, who used to run engineering and research at Google. And when I was an intern, we would at Google, like, would, I really liked Alan. He's like super nice guy, would always like share like great advice with us and stuff. And one of the things he said, which really stuck with me was, if you give two people, two smart people, the same information, they'll make the same decision. And I think like, it's, it's also, you're never going to have the same information because information means like, you know, your whole context growing up and your background, your life experience and all these things. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, right. Perception. Perception. Exactly. But I think as much as possible, you know, Joe and I view our jobs as a team as kind of helping people share context. Right. And I think similarly, like Joe and I have had so many experiences together over the last, you know, whatever, seven, eight, whatever years we've been working together is that we can just look at a problem and because, you know, for better or worse, whether it's the right answer or not, like we'll have like a very similar viewpoint on stuff. And any of the times when we're kind of like, hey, should we do this or should we do that? It's usually because one of people, person doesn't have this right full information. And then when we share that, it's like we're like 100% aligned on stuff. Huh. So that to me, and this is kind of, I think it's related, but like, I want to talk a bit about like talking to investors, but I think like, I want to start with that as a package deal. Like, how do you go into those conversations? Because you've, you've done so many investor pitches over so many years. Yeah. Do you do them together? And then do you do it? Do they sort of view you as this package deal? Because now as you're talking about it, and I'm putting on my investor hat, I'm yeah. like, based on everything you've said, and based on sort of like the evidence available to me, you're kind of like, it's like a force multiplier. It's almost like a two for one deal yeah. in a very good way, a very smart and money efficient way for me versus other <laughs> But on the other hand, you might have blinders when it comes to like certain problem solving things because it's like yeah. you're so aligned, right? Yeah. But how does that go for you and how does it work with you and investors, I guess? Yeah. What I'd say, and, and to Jordan's point earlier, like we have had things where, you know, we have a different perspective at first and we figure out how to how to get aligned and how to figure out the right path forward. I think the important point, and we obviously in the last eight years, like there have been tough things. Like, you know, Nikhil and I have had conversations around like, should we keep working on XYZ thing? Right. right. I think every journey has that. What's important is exactly what Nikhil called out. It's just, the, yeah, the, the, it's, it's really easy because Joe's always right and I'm wrong. So I just like, all right, let's just go. With Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe says. That works out too. Yeah. I mean, that's like me and Jordan, except uh, I'm always secretly right, but I just yeah. pretend Jordan's right every single time. So. It's always been 100% team effort. Nikhil is being like way too nice and way too humble. And yeah, I feel like so grateful to get to have gotten to work with them all these years and like, you know, be friends with the stuff. It's just, you know, you figure it out as a team and you move forward. On the investor side, we're super aligned on things. So often you don't actually need both of us in the room. Mm -hmm. I think like Nikhil is like an, an incredible speaker. And so he'll take a lot of the, I think early on, we used to take a lot of the investor conversations together. Yeah. Um, sometimes Nikhil handles them himself. I go and, you know, do other stuff that is hopefully also good use of my time. But usually we'll just figure out what the right move is for each one. Sometimes we'll both be there. Sometimes one of us will be there. We're always like super aligned on that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. and you speak so highly of each other that like, I'm sure investors are like, ah, you like Joe, we like Joe. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, they get the vibe. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
we have to hide hide me in the back yeah. room, you know. <laughs> I know that feeling, Joe. <laughs> maybe maybe some of like the to share some of the stories. I know it's like probably a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this podcast. So like share some of the crazy yeah. stories we've been through, right? We like do whatever it takes, right? For example, one of the things was when you're building iPhone apps, you know, it, the cycle time of iteration was really slow. So what that means is, mm-hmm. let's say you're Facebook, you build Facebook Messenger, you build a new version of it, takes two weeks to get approved in the app store for Apple. Now they cut that down to like two days, but it used to be two weeks. Right. And then, you know, you wait another week or two to get feedback and you build another version in a week and then you ship it again. You're talking like a two month iteration cycle. Joe and I like literally drove to Berkeley. We got in our car, we drove to Berkeley, dressed up as Berkeley students, went around campus pretending we were interns and like got people to give us feedback on the app. And then we would like sit and they would give us feedback. We would sit down on the steps uh, of like Sprawl Plaza and like plug in our our phone uh, to to our computer, recode the app. And two minutes later, show someone a new version, right? So we cut like a two oh, month. So you just have the dev build on your e- device. Exactly. We, we cut right. like a two month iteration cycle into like two minutes, right? And like, we would just do stuff like this all the time where people thought we were like insane. My friend's like, what are you even doing? So like, you guys see the scene here, right? It's, I was seven years out of undergrad, five years out of grad school, Josie, you're blowing me. So, you know, similar. And we have like no money. We're like not taking, I think we had just started paying ourselves like 30K or something at the time uh, salary. And we were living and working out of our apartment. You know, we we have nothing. We Our friends are like buying houses and married and kids and don't have like nothing. And we're like right. going to Berkeley and like pretending to be students. And people are like, what are you doing? Right. So, but it, it was, it was, it was always a blast. And it's always been, and it got to the point where you started getting recognized on campus and people are like, you guys are back. Like, what are you doing here? So I think like, it's always been a lot of fun. And I think one of those stories that we give these talks to founders a lot. And one of the things that we always say is you got to enjoy the journey, right? You got to have a ton of fun. Right. And even today, uh, and if you watch like my Instagram story, people are like, wow, like, do you guys do any work in the office? Cause you know, we're like hanging out, there's a beer pong table, people are mm-hmm. cracking jokes, there's pranks, all stuff. It's like our team works 24 seven, like literally 24 seven. Like last night, a customer wrote in at like whatever, midnight, 1am and we got one minute response time like that. It, we work all the time, but I think one of our core philosophies is that you should have fun while you're doing it. You know, half of the goal is to like improve life for every person on the planet, which I know sounds crazy, but you know, I think we're on track to doing. And the second part of it is like, have a blast while you're doing it. And we believe very strongly in, in the second during COVID people are like, are you, are we going remote? And we're like, no, like we don't want to work here. It's remote. It's not fun. Right. So mm. we, we want to create this kind of very fun atmosphere for the team. And, and, you know, fun doesn't mean just partying, right. You know, we have a huge chunk of the company has kids and, and all stuff, but it's like a very youthful energy. It's very silly, fun, spontaneous uh, crew. Cool. Yeah, me and Jordan don't have any fun. <laughs> Very little fun. No, we do. We we espouse that also. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons we have a lot of people who have remained here for many years yeah. is that fun is core. And it's weird because we do it remote and that it brings with it its own different set of challenges. But we have managed to maintain that, I think. It's the reason I came back twice. But yeah. Yeah. He's a boomeranger, this guy. But Double boomerang. Okay. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm, what you talk about brings up to me. There's this perception, there has traditionally been this perception that like in the Valley, people work really, really, really hard and everybody's kind of like, let's do it. Like they welcome that. But then there's that's kind of like caused this reaction of, well, no, maybe that's not the right way to do it. Right. And maybe people are just kind of like wearing themselves down. And also maybe people would rather, I mean, there's a big balance. Everybody's talking about work-life balance and how you have to do that. So like, how do you weigh those and how do you kind of, you don't also don't want to get into a monoculture situation, yeah. right? Because it's like not good for the business or anything. So you don't want to just have people who are like, let's go rah, 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 24 seven. So how do you think about that? Especially when yeah. you're managing a really small team yeah. and you need like a high degree of like collaborative energy, right? Yeah. I think I can give a quick answer to this and then Nikhil can give his thoughts too. I think, I think our philosophy is to just keep it simple. Like just do what makes you happy. And for mm-hmm. some people that'll be, you know, like working on something that you really like for some people that'll be, you know, like traveling or, or like eating or being a foodie, like all these other things for us, it just happens to be, you know, working on something that we think is super impactful. That is also super fun and doing it in a, in a way that we really enjoy. Right. So people we really like in an office with a culture that we really like, I think those things are really important. That's what's fun for us. I think the second part is finding other people that find the same types of things fun. And so that's part of what we've looked for when we've been hiring our early teams, like people who like really align on that and, and look for the same things. And so there's always some balance of, uh, you know, of like the different parts of your life. But for us, it's always been, you know, taking life as a whole, how do we have the most fun? And it's been just a mix of building this thing and then also the other stuff. All right. Well, thanks very much, guys. It was great talking to you and we appreciate you uh, making the time for us. Today. Yeah, thanks for hosting. Thanks awesome. for having us. This was fun. 
right, Jordan, that was Joe and Nikhil. And what did you think of our conversation with them and Alchemy? I mean, it was very positive, which isn't really our style, I feel like. We tried to bring it down. But I, I tried don't think... so many times. <laughs> They're unbreakably positive, which is good. I mean, yeah. I think you'd have to be if you're working in Web3, right? Just because there's obviously a lot of hype and upside right now. But if you think of it over the last five years, like it's been a completely tumultuous space yeah. and you don't know what tomorrow looks like, right? It all is fluctuating and it's not like a state, it's like not like disrupting real estate or disrupting finance, right? Like those are things that are just here. We need buildings. We need money. Right. Anyway. Well, do we, do we need fiat? I mean, to. Oh my God, get out of here. To echo a. <laughs> Stop acting like you know what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, they're very, very optimistic gentlemen. And I uh-huh. appreciated talk to them. There was something about that duo that gave me founder duo circa 2012 vibes a little bit. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because it's like in ways that I don't think are necessarily all on them and probably are quite a bit on us, they bring to mind a sort of like stereotype or a caricature of like a Silicon Valley founder. founder. Yes. Yes. Uh, circa, like you said, like, you know, maybe decade, half a decade ago. I think it is that relentless optimism is part of it. And then there's a seeming boundlessness of energy towards their goal, right? Like those are the things. And then it's that single-mindedness too when it comes to like the work ethic, right? Which is sort of Not, I think, what we would say is like the current kind of thing. We've moved into a phase where I think people are much more about like, and we talked about this a little bit on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. totally. And like just balance in the universe, like talking about your product in the context that it is often a tool and humans know how to use tools in multiple ways. And sometimes those ways can be bad. I just think there's like generally a lot of the founders we've talked to and a lot of founders we talk to today tend to be a little bit more like have a broader perspective maybe. And it could like, that's not to say that it's a bad thing, right? Like the alchemy guys are obviously incredibly successful and probably they're like laser focus on this like double axis impact goal of changing the world is part of that success. I just think that us as journalists who have been doing this for 10 years and seeing founders come in and out the door, it gave me like a vibe from a long time ago of like, how many founders are going to say they're changing the world because they built this thing that makes them a lot of money, but then also say they don't right. care about money and <laughs> like say they work hard and they never fight and they love each other and like best friends and we're really intense, but we're really chill. I was just like, what is happening here? I felt a little bit uh, whiplashed by the conversation yeah. in general. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it is one of those because we talk to a lot of founders specifically on this show who are doing, you know, mission driven companies, but the mission that they're doing, like the impact that you can see when it's sort of like, I don't know, carbon sequestration or something. Like you're like, oh, I get exploration or yeah. Yeah. Whereas the impact, especially for people, I think it's fair to say like you and myself who are on the outside of kind of the crypto. More skeptical side of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to see that as being like, oh, they changed the world for the better. And and it's because we're like running the rails for all of these crypto companies. And we're like, I see A and I see B, like I see your destination, but I don't necessarily see the path between where it's easier for a lot of the social impact startups we've maybe talked to where it's like, oh, I can see that in the path. Like I see how they connect, right? Yeah. I think that's a common problem that crypto faces and one that we are not the people to unpack that and trace the line. I think that Lucas, Matt, Chain reaction, me, yeah. Our colleague, yes, and Anita and Chain Reaction are the better people to do it. So go listen to them. They'll help you. And we're going to be listening too because we need help, we're with you. frankly, more than anybody else. But yeah, I think it was interesting talking to them about the Web3 aspects of their product and talking when with the AWS comparison that was cool because like they used it as a shorthand we've seen it in our in TechCrunch articles as a shorthand but it's like company. not accurate right but it's not accurate, like it's like right. even kind of like a little bit like it kind of is in that there needs to be a computational layer for developers but like that's it right like right. not in how it actually performs or what they do or in like right. its ability to be defensible or who houses the data yeah exactly like who owns the data yeah 
I thought that was super interesting talking to them about defensibility. And the answer to it was essentially we are the most fanatic about customer care and speed, right? Which is like, again, and I think this is maybe about our perspective and our experiences. That sounds so, so tiring <laughs> to maintain. Tiring. Like it doesn't sound like you can sustain it for and also a like, significant length of time. I just right? look at yeah. it with a grain of salt, right? Like anyone who's like, yeah. oh, the best way that we compete is by like always being the best, right? And right. like, we are the best because we work as a team. And like, I don't know, it just feels like all of it feels, I'm like, what is, what is the reality though? Right. And that's like mostly on me, not on the alchemy guys. Cause I think that that's what we've trained in ourselves after so long to be like, what about for real though? Right. And I do think they have one big benefit that is probably like a, it's an intangible, but I think they've proven it out is like they seemingly work so so well together over such a sustained period of time and they don't seem to have like any rivalry or anything yeah there's there's no expiry date to that like it looks like it can go for as long as it needs to go i mean you know you can never predict the future but they seem really able to cooperate in that very concentrated very high energy way for a long period of time which to investors i think i said it on the podcast but like it must seem like a two for one deal. Like it's probably for a lot of people like this is great. Like normally I have one of these guys in my offices and, and like I'm like I've got to put the whole thing on them. But in this case, I got two and they both have technical chops and drive and ambition right. and all this stuff. Right. Yeah, I can yeah. see that totally being the case. And they have an, an immense amount of trust in one another. And I think that that's another thing that I mean, we're always on a podcast with two founders are going to hear them give glowing reviews to each other. Or even when they're both not on, we always hear a lot of positivity about my fellow co-founders. But we've also watched Mm -hmm. over the last 10 years how many times there have been founder disputes that have caused problems at companies, right? And like, I buy it with these guys. I didn't buy everything that they said all the time, but I bought that they like truly love and trust one another and they want to solve problems together, you know? Well, no one's 100% honest 100% of the time, Jordan. I surely am not. Oh, no. With our listeners. Oh, no, no, with our listeners. With them, are. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I lie to my dog all the time. I'm like, I got something yeah. good for you. And then I take him somewhere he doesn't want to go. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Uh, same, same. We also lie to each other. We do the exact same mm-hmm. tactic. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I think that about does it for this week's episode. I do just want to close with a reminder to, like I mentioned at the top, go listen to the new TechCrunch podcast called Chain Reaction, all about blockchain, crypto, things we talked about today, but much, much beyond with your hosts, Lucas Matney and Anita Ramaswamy. That's available now. A couple episodes already out there. Comes out every Thursday. Also, obviously, continue listening to us. That's not, that's not even a question, but listen to them too. Thanks. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamets and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. 